Section 7 of the Science History of the Universe, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 4. Edited by Franz Rolt Wheeler. Chemistry. Chapter 6 the early phlogistic period heretofore the inducements to a study of chemical phenomena had been successively a belief in the possibility of transmutation and a conviction in the potency of heroic medicines prepared in the chemical laboratory but from the middle of the seventeenth century onward another aim is manifest in the works of the masters for from the time of boyle forward the great end of chemistry was recognized as being the discovery of new chemical facts with the object of arriving at the truth alone and thanks to the spirit of true investigation which had begun to extend itself to chemistry and the effect of the inductive method of francis bacon chemistry assumed its proper place as a science as an approach is made to modern times it becomes more difficult to define historically the successive phases of chemistry the learned societies which were founded in the second half of the seventeenth and the beginning of the eighteenth centuries and whose periodicals furnished ever accumulating data for the discussion of old and the initiation of new theories and disseminated the results of chemical investigations in general assisted materially toward the healthy progress of chemical science but nevertheless firm obsequiousness to any one school of scientific thought was not to be expected nor was it found the london royal society was founded by charles the second and was incorporated by him in sixteen sixty two under a royal charter for the improvement of natural knowledge the first volume of the philosophical transactions of that society bears the date sixteen sixty five and ever since its foundation the royal society has been a nucleus around which has clustered the scientific genius of great britain in sixteen sixty six the academy royale was instituted in paris under the protection of louis the sixteenth and its memoirs began to appear in sixteen ninety nine other scientific societies the academia del cemento of florence sixteen fifty seven the academia naturae curiosum of vienna sixteen fifty two and the berlin academy seventeen hundred also brought together those who were in sympathy through their devotion to knowledge and by the interchange of their ideas thought was quickened and the advance of science aided the reciprocal action of chemistry and allied branches of science upon each other was also promoted by bringing together their respective exponents and the discussion of scientific researches helped more thoroughly to sift the evidence on which their conclusions were based and tended to promote increased accuracy and simplicity of thought and expression although the literature of the day bears record of many observations isolated discoveries and discussions on chemical problems yet there was one problem which engrossed the attention of almost all philosophers during the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries 
and this was the explanation of fire and the phenomena caused by fire notwithstanding the fact that here scarcely any two chemists were agreed in their conclusions their modes of arriving at them showed remarkable similarity little note was taken of the proportions by weight in which substances entered into reaction the qualitative side of phenomena alone was being considered this period of about one hundred and twenty years from boyle to lavoisier may therefore be described as that of qualitative chemistry a step toward the quantitative work of the modern period and an immense step forward from the speculative and fortuitous chemistry of the preceding periods it was a period of generalization for just as fire was to be explained by the assumption of one general principle phlogiston a doctrine which influenced chemists to such an extent that this period is characterized as the phlogistic period so the general properties of acidity and causticity were to be viewed as conferred by one fundamental acid and one fundamental alkali respectively and although it was itself handicapped by erroneous views the phlogistic period contributed largely to the refutation of alchemical and iatrochemical errors and was a highly productive period for chemistry robert boyle sixteen twenty seven to sixteen ninety one was the seventh son and fourteenth child of richard earl of cork he was born at lismore in munster at eight years of age he was sent to eton where says he a perusal of quintus curtius conjured up in me that unsatisfied appetite for knowledge that is yet as greedy as when it was first raised after about four years at eton boyle went to his father's seat in dorset and afterward travelled he became a student at geneva and continued his studies at the manor of stalbridge from sixteen forty four to sixteen fifty four when he settled at oxford in sixteen sixty eight boyle moved to london and was a prominent member of the then newly constituted royal society he was elected president in sixteen eighty but refused to serve owing to a scruple he entertained as to taking oaths in sixteen eighty nine his health began to fail and he issued an advertisement restricting the visits of his acquaintances he also had a board put up outside his house announcing when he received visits boyle's health had never been good from the age of twenty-one he suffered from stone and much feared that if it forced him to take to his bed the pain of it would become intolerable he died however without pain and almost without serious illness boyle developed talent early and at twenty-one he had already written on ethics and published several moral and religious essays in sixteen sixty five he published his occasional reflection upon several subjects which procured him the satire of swift in a pious meditation upon broomstick in the style of the honourable mr boyle it would be needless to attempt to go over the whole ground of boyle's work although there is much in it of interest even at the present time as for example his papers on the saltness of the sea and the nature of the sea's bottom and his essay on the intestine motions of the particles of quiescent solids wherein the absolute rest of bodies is called in question 
he was perhaps the first to draw attention to the desirability of studying the forms of crystals and his papers on the figures of salts contains many curious observations in his experiments about the superficial figures of fluids especially of liquors contiguous to other liquors he breaks ground which has taxed the energies of our greatest mathematicians his treatise on cold abounds with striking and original experiments for example he demonstrates the expansive power of freezing water by bursting a gun barrel filled with water and securely plugged by placing it in a mixture of snow and salt a freezing mixture which he himself introduced in england his essays on the usefulness of experimental natural philosophy were of the greatest service in his time in furthering the cause of science by showing how the material interests of civilization may be prompted by its study and lastly his tract on unsucceeding experiments must have been to quote thorpe as the wine of gladness and the oil of consolation to many a despondent virtuoso boyle was born in the year in which bacon died and boyle's place in the history of science is that of the first true exponent of the baconian period and the skeptical chemist is his greatest work this work probably contains a greater number of well-authenticated facts than is to be found in any other chemical treatise of its day but the real merit of this work consists in its determined attack on the authority of the peripatetics and the paracelsians to quote from his own statement in the skeptical chemist to acquaint you with the divers of the conjectures for i must yet call them no more i had concerning the principles of things purely corporeal for though because i seem not satisfied with the vulgar doctrines either of the peripatetic or the paracelsian schools many of those that know me have thought me wedded to the epicurean hypothesis as others have mistaken me for a helmontian i should tell you that i have sometimes thought it not unfit that to the principles which may be assigned to things as the world is now constituted we should if we consider the great mass of matter as it was whilst the universe was in making add another which may conveniently enough be called architectonic principle or power by which i mean those various determinations and that skilful guidance of the motions of the small parts of the universal matter by the most wise author of things which were necessary at the beginning to turn that confused chaos into this orderly and beautiful world for i confess i cannot well conceive how from matter barely put into motion and then left to itself there could emerge such curious fabrics as the bodies of men and perfect animals and such yet more admirably contrived parcels of matter as the seeds of living creatures boyle is severe upon the affected mysticism of the spagyrists they may be as obscure as they like about their elixir and the rest of their grand arcana yet when they pretend to teach the general principles of natural philosophers this equivocal way of writing is not to be endured for in such speculative inquiries where the naked knowledge of the truth is the thing principally aimed at what he does teach me worth thanks 
that does not if he can make his notion intelligible to me but by mystical terms and ambiguous phrases darkens what he should clear up and makes me add the trouble of guessing at the sense of what he equivocally expresses to that of learning the truth of what he seems to deliver indeed boyle does not hesitate to say that the reason why the spagyrists wrote so obscurely of the three great principles was according to thorpe that not having clear and distinct notions of them themselves they could not write otherwise than confusedly of what they had confusedly apprehended they could scarcely keep themselves from being confuted but by keeping themselves from being clearly understood home thrusts which must have made many a helmontian wince the effect of such hard hitting is made evident on the most superficial comparison of the general style of chemical treatises immediately preceding boyle's time with those published toward the close of the seventeenth century the skeptical chemist compelled the decline of the doctrine of tria prima and before the close of the century the paracelsians were as much out of date as a phlogiston would be today boyle indeed appeared to incline to the belief that all matter is compounded of one primordial substance in other words that all matters are merely modifications of the materia prima to quote again from his skeptical chemist i consider that if it be as true as it is probable that compounded bodies differ from one another but in the various textures resulting from the bigness shape motion and contrivance of their small parts it will not be irrational to conceive that one and the same parcel of the universal matter may by various alterations and contextures be brought to deserve the name sometimes of a sulfurous and sometimes of a terrene or aqueous body how closely he was in accord with the modern spirit is shown in this remarkable passage i am apt to think that men will never be able to explain the phenomena of nature while they endeavor to deduce them only from the presence and proportions of such or such material ingredients and consider such ingredients or elements as bodies in a state of rest whereas indeed the greatest part of the affections of matter and consequently of the phenomena of nature seem to depend upon the motion and contrivance of the small parts of bodies it was possible for boyle to expose the shortcomings and fallacies of the then prevalent idea of element or principle i mean by elements as those chemists that speak plainest do by their principles certain primitive and simple or perfectly unmingled bodies which not being made of any other bodies or of one another are the ingredients of which all those called perfectly mixed bodies are immediately compounded and into which they are ultimately reserved i need not be so absurd as to deny that there are such bodies as earth and water and quicksilver and sulphur but i look upon the earth and water as component parts of the universe or rather of the terrestrial globe not of all mixed bodies this conception of an element gave the term a positive meaning boyle also looked forward to the discovery of a much greater number of elements than was at that time assumed at the same time maintaining that many of the substances then held to be elementary 
were not really so. Boyle was the first to state clearly that a chemical compound results from the combination of two constituents, and that it has properties entirely different from those of either of its constituents alone. He was, therefore, enabled to draw a sharp distinction between mixtures and chemical compounds, and to grasp clearly the main problem of chemistry, the investigation of the composition of substances. In doing this, he had the solid ground of experience and experiment under his feet, and could always bring forward evidence for the probability of his views. His endeavors to get at the root of the composition of bodies gave an impetus to the analytical chemistry, which before his time could hardly be said to exist. And we are at the same time indebted to him for fixing the meaning of a chemical reaction. Boyle appears to have been the first to employ the term analysis, in the sense in which it has since been used by chemists. Also, he devoted much attention to the inquiry of the cause of combustion and other similar phenomena, and although his attempts at explaining these were not very successful, his experiments on the role played by air in combustion aided the later solution of the problem. His investigations on air and gases led him in 1660 to the well-known discovery of the law that the volume of a gas varies with the pressure. Marriott deduced this independently in 1677. Boyle's writings, which were extensively read in his own time, are characterized by simplicity of style and clearness of expression. They offer, as von Meyer observes, an agreeable contrast to the works of many in the other chemists of his time who sought to hide their deficiencies in clear thought and accurate knowledge by metaphorical and mysterious language. In addition to other papers published in the Philosophical Transactions, the following works of his, which were brought out both in English and Latin, are to be particularly mentioned. The Skeptical Chemist, Chemistus Skepticus, first published anonymously in 1661, and afterward in many editions with Boyle's name as author. Tentamina Credam Physiologica, 1661, and Experimenta et Considerations de Coloribus, 1663. Editions of his complete works were published in London in 1700, 1725, and 1744. A contemporary of Boyle who made important observations on combustion was Robert Hooke, 1635 to 1702. Hooke was born in the Isle of Wight and was originally intended for the church, but he was of a weakly constitution and much subject to headache, and owing to these causes the idea was finally abandoned. His leanings were first shown in a considerable aptitude as a boy for constructing mechanical toys, after his father's death, Dr. Busby took him into his house and supported him at Westminster School. After leaving school, he went to Christ Church, Oxford, and in 1655 he was introduced to the Philosophical Society. Here his talents were speedily discovered, and he was employed to assist first Dr. Willis and then Mr. Boyle. 
1662 he was made curator of experiments to the royal society and when this body was established by charter he was one of the first nominated to fellowship he obtained several professional posts and in 1665 he published in folio his micrographia or some physiological descriptions of minute bodies made by magnifying glasses with observations and inquiries thereupon it was dedicated to charles the second it is usual to state that hook anticipated the modern view of the nature of combustion in this treatise but it will appear from the following extract that whatever value may be assigned to his work it cannot be claimed that he did more than recognize the part played by the air in the process while still adhering to the conception of a sulfurous principle which is lost by the body during combustion thus he observes from the experiment of charring of coals we may learn that the air in which we live move and breathe and which encompasses very many and cherishes most bodies it encompasses that this air is the menstruum or universal dissolvent of all sulfurous bodies that the dissolution of sulfurous bodies is made by a substance inherent and mixed with the air that is like if not the very same with that which is fixed in saltpetre which by multitudes of experiments that may be made with saltpetre will i think most evidently be demonstrated the dissolving parts of the air are but few that is it seems of the nature of those saline menstruums or spirits that have very much phlegm mixed with the spirits and therefore a small parcel of it is quickly gutted and will dissolve no more whereas saltpetre is a menstruum when melted and red-hot that abounds more with those dissolvent particles and therefore as a small quantity of it will dissolve a great sulfurous body so will the dissolution be very quick and violent it is observable that as in other solutions if a copious and quick supply of fresh menstruum though but weak be poured on or applied to the dissoluble body it quickly consumes it so this menstruum of air if by bellows or any other such contrivance it be copiously applied to the shining body is found to dissolve it as soon and as violently as the more strong menstruum of melted nitre the completion of hook's theory was effected by john mayow who was born in the parish of st dunstan london in sixteen forty five in sixteen seventy four he produced the treatise on which his fame rests it is entitled tractatus quinque medico physici quorum primus agit de sol nitro et spiritu nitro aereo secundus de respiration tertius de respiration fetus in utero et ovo cordis de motu musculari et spiritibus animalis ultimus de rachitidae studio jo mayo lld in medici nec non col om amen at university oxon soci exoni a thero sheldoniano andom mayo's assumption that atmospheric air contained a substance the spiritus nitro aeris also present in saltpetre which combined with metals when they were caseined and which sustained respiration 
and convertus venous blood into arterial was bound to result in the right interpretation of the phenomena of combustion when the observations which had led to it were sufficiently extended mayow's early death in sixteen seventy nine was perhaps the reason why this did not occur the development of the new chemistry being greatly retarded as a result two members of the french academy became prominent at this period the mary and omberg wilhelm omberg sixteen fifty two to seventeen fifteen was a lawyer but gave up the practice of his profession to study natural science and medicine he knew both boyle and kunkel and was a good observer and skilful in carrying out his experiments but a poor interpreter of the results he was trammelled by alchemistic views maintained that substances consisted of mercury sulphur and salt and took little part in establishing the new theories he contributed a large number of papers on chemical zoological botanical and physical subjects to the french academy nicholas lemery sixteen forty five to seventeen fifteen was especially renowned as a teacher though he was also a good worker dealing in the practical rather than the theoretical his son ludwig lemery was also a distinguished chemist the elder lemery's greatest work was the writing of his textbook of chemistry cours de chimie sixteen seventy five which embraced all that was known of chemistry and endeavored to give a suitable connection between the facts recorded and to systematize them this was for many years the best textbook on the science and was issued in thirty-two editions thirteen editions appeared during the author's lifetime and a last much changed one was issued by baron in seventeen fifty six two german contemporaries of boyle were johann kunkel and johann joachim becker kunkel was essentially an experimentalist he was imbued with a belief in the philosopher's stone and regarded mercury as the necessary component of a metal he was born at rendsburg in sixteen thirty and died in seventeen o two he was the son of an alchemist and himself passed much of his life as the employee of sundry german princes among them the elector john george of saxony the great elector of brandenburg and the dukes of laurenburg in the unsuccessful pursuit of the philosopher's stone before the second half of the seventeenth century the blowpipe had been used neither in chemical analysis nor for working glass it was kunkel's task to demonstrate the case in which a metallic calyx might be reduced by heating it on charcoal before the blowpipe and to institute a more expeditious mode of hermetic sealing than that of inserting the drawn-out neck of flask or other vessel in a hot fire hitherto in vogue kunkel was the first to recognize an analogy between putrefaction and fermentation and to show how the production of vinegar in the latter process depended on the initial formation of alcohol and avoidance of low temperature or presence of acids among his treatises the following may be mentioned offenlich zutschrift von von phosphoro millibri en dusen ductenden wunderpellulien sixteen seventy eight ars vitraria experimentalis sixteen eighty nine and philosophia chemica experimentis confirmata 
1694. Johann Joachim Becker, who was born at Speyer in 1635 and died in London in 1682, worked almost contemporaneously with Kunkel, although more for the theoretical explanation of already observed facts than for the practical side of the subject. But in his unsettled life and his inclination toward new schemes, he resembled the latter. He worked as an alchemist at the courts in Mainz, Munich, and Vienna, but he was too honorable to deceive his patrons, and entirely too candid to allow of his remaining long in any one place. In theoretical questions as to the composition of substances, Becker attempted to revive the old ideas of Paracelsus in another form. In place of mercury, sulphur, and salt, he adopted three earths of which all inorganic, subterrestrial bodies should consist, vis-à-vis -vis the mercurial, the vitreous, and the combustible, terra pingui. The nature of any material depended on the proportions in which these three fundamental earths were contained in it. Of especial importance was Becker's assumption that when substances were burnt or metals calcined, that terra pingui escaped. Fire dissolves and breaks up all things made of different parts. In metals, the more volatile part is expelled. That is, he regarded combustion as a destruction. Hence, he concluded that every combustible substance must in itself contain the cause of combustibility, and that a substance incapable of being resolved into others, an element, cannot burn. It was from this conception that Stahl's phlogiston theory originated. These theoretical views are to be found in Becker's first work, Physica Subterranea, 1669, and in his last, Thesis Chemicae, 1682. His doctrines acquired great celebrity through Stahl, whose work belongs for the most part to the 18th century, on which he conferred a character of its own by his development of the phlogiston theory. End of section 7. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com.